Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such oppression from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The word of the God. Thanks be, Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Atticus, great job, my man. Appreciate you. By the way, if you would like to participate in service, reach out and let us know. We'd like for everyone in the congregation who would like to. I know some of you are mortified by standing up in front of people and you do not have to do that. But if you would like to participate in worship, reach out and let us know because we believe that worship is something that we do together as a family. So thank you, Atticus, for serving. Let me pray for us as we come to God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we want to pause now as we come to your word. In this time of worship, we have heard your word read, we have sung praises to you, we have brought our gifts and our offerings to you as an act of worship, we have prayed to you. Um, And Lord, now we just want to open our hearts for the preaching of your word. That Holy Spirit, you would come and take your word and plant it deeply in our hearts. That we would be changed and that we would come to fall more in love with Jesus. Would you come and be our teacher? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So a question to get us started, kids. Have you ever run a race before? Have you ever run a race? I see a couple of hands here. You know, I shared a couple of weeks ago about my racing career. I ran track one year, I ran the mile, and that career was very short-lived as I was usually the caboose in every race I ran. It was not my sport, I found out pretty quick. But just this past year, my oldest son, H, started running cross-country. Now, we didn't have that whenever I was in school, and it's probably a good thing I shouldn't have tried that, okay, because it's a little bit longer. Is it three miles? Two miles, okay, great. It was two miles, a lot longer than I want to run. Maybe could run, but it is a two-mile race. And what's unique about this sport, it's, it's very different from any sports I participated in. And um, it was so neat to, to get to go to H's meets this year. But, you know, you start, and all these runners from all these different schools start in a particular spot. And, you know, there's a crowd of people there. Everybody's really excited. And, you know, the gun goes off, and they take off on the run. And usually they run into like a tree line. I mean, they're, they're like into the woods. And you don't see them for a while. And you're sitting and you're kind of waiting and you're kind of hanging out and everything. And then you, all of a sudden, you see them appear from another spot of the woods. And they come out and they're coming down the finish line there. And so you cheer again. But it's a fascinating sport because, you know, so, sometimes people, the people who are the fastest out of the blocks... Sometimes they're not the first to appear out of the tree line. In fact, sometimes the people who are the first off the blocks never make it to the tree line. So it's interesting just to watch this and to know what a unique sport that most of it takes place whenever you're, 
You're on your own. You're running your race. It's an individual sport, and yes, it, yet it's a team sport at the same time. It's just been fascinating to get to be around this kind of a sport and this race, this kind of long endurance race. Now, what do I share that? I share that because that is the metaphor the author of Hebrews uses in our passage to describe the Christian life. That's in our passage. That is, that is what he is using as an illustration to say this is what the Christian life is like. And he says here in verse 1, second part of verse 1, he says, let us uh, run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That is his calling for the Christian life. Now, as we've been going through the book of Hebrews, we've been seeing that he's been talking about around this thing quite a bit, that the Christian life is something that requires endurance, it requires perseverance, it's a challenging walk. And uh, as we saw uh, in the past two weeks, that, that the goal of the Christian life is that future reward that is coming, that, that uh, reality that is on the other side of this life. But here he shows us and uses this metaphor, the Christian life is a race. What does that mean? What does he want us to understand about that? Well, it means that it has a beginning and it has a destination. And that the goal of the Christian life is not necessarily how you begin, though you must begin, but the goal and the focus on the Christian life is the end. It's the destination. And in between those two requires perseverance. It requires endurance. There's many obstacles. It is hard. It is challenging. It requires intentionality. you got to run. Now why... Why is that so significant for us? And how does that speak to us, particularly in our culture? So we talk a lot about the fact that we are in the Bible Belt here. You know, and in the Bible Belt, we're kind of in this reality where uh, faith is kind of assumed. Most people would profess to be a Christian. Most of the people that I meet here in Dade County or anywhere near here, they've they believe the basics of Christianity. They, they've probably had some experience with church in their past, they might even have walked an aisle at some point in their life or made a decision or prayed a prayer. But so often the message in the Bible Belt is that that beginning is the most important thing. That make sure you believe the right things, make sure you make a decision, but the emphasis is rarely on how you live the Christian life and even about finishing. So often the way that it's kind of couched in the Bible Belt is kind of like that, that uh, the gospel is kind of like fire insurance. I've used this illustration before that it's, it's kind of like, you know, you got to get it there at the beginning for what you'll need way back, maybe down the road. And so, so often people, they pray a prayer and they believe these basics about Jesus because they believe that by doing that, then they'll get to go to heaven whenever they die. But really this life, how we live this life, doesn't really matter all that much. I mean, you know, make sure you avoid the really bad stuff and make, make sure that you maybe have a few of these good things in your life, but the emphasis is not on how we live. And so, so often, as we are, are in this culture, we, we forget that the Christian life is a race. It takes intentionality. You've got to know where you're going. 
You've got, to seek, you've got to be seeking to grow. That is the purpose for God for your life. It's not just that you would make this beginning, but that you would grow. That you would make it to the end. That you would endure in all of the different obstacles and hardships that we find in the Christian life. The Christian life is a journey. We spend our lives going somewhere. We're called pilgrims in Scripture because of this reality. And it's easy to forget, especially here in the Bible Belt. So here's a question. What do we learn from the passage here about how we run well and finish well in the Christian life? Because that is the real emphasis on what he shows us in the passage. So we're going to see three things. The first thing we're going to see is that you've got to see the crowd. You've got to see the witnesses. Look at what he says in the first verse here. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So he reminds us of this reality that we are surrounded by all of these people that have gone before us. Now, this is coming off of chapter 11. We spent two weeks on chapter 11. Anytime you're reading a passage of Scripture and you see that little word, therefore, it means that it's connecting you to a previous thought. We're not coming into something totally different. So... He's taking us back to what we saw in chapter 11, the hall of faith. You remember that? We talked about the heroes of the Christian life. We talked about the Old Testament believers that ran their race, that endured incredibly hard things. They, they had endurance. They had perseverance, sometimes in the face of incredibly hard circumstances. And here's the main thing, they finished. They made it to the end. They persevered in Christ all the way to the end, and inherited their reward. So he's saying, therefore, in light of all those that have gone before us. Now, one of the things that I've noticed is that in a race, the crowd's pretty important, right? I mean, I think one of the, the challenging things about cross-country is that the whole middle part, there's no crowd. But you see something happen whenever they show up on that end stretch, and finally they come into the presence of the crowd, and people are cheering. There's, there's extra energy there. You know, if you feel the crowd, you get that energy from the crowd, it gives you just a little bit more to endure. But here's one of the interesting things about the crowd that he's talking about. All of these saints that have gone before us, they're not there primarily to watch us, but rather that we would watch them. That we would see the testimony of their life, that we would see what they have done, and that it would compel us for our race you know, if you go into Dade County uh, High School gym, if you go into the basketball gym there, one of the things you'll notice, and this is true of most high school gyms, is you'll no notice banners hanging up in there. You'll see names on those banners. You know, you'll see Jamie McBriar, all of his state titles there. You'll see all of these different people that have gone and they've achieved great things. And those things are like witnesses for those who play for the team. They're able to look up and see that and say, hey, I'm not the first one to do this. There's those that have gone before me and I'm connected to them. I'm a part of what they did. But they endured and they made it. And I want to achieve what they achieved. I remember whenever I was in high school and I played football. I was a little bit better at football than running the mile. But I remember that on a Friday night when we were about to take the field, I won't say where I went to high school. It might turn some of you off. But... It's a rival high school. But you would always notice as we would line up about to run on the field, lining the fence of our field was all the players of old. 
all those that had gone before us. And you know, for a number of them, we recognized them. Like I could pick them out. And I knew what they had done because I had grown up hearing the stories of what they had achieved. Region titles they had won. Things that they had accomplished in their career. And you'd look over and it just added some weight to it. It's like, hey, wow, do you see who that is over there? They're watching me. And I see what they did and that compels me in what I'm about to do. That's what he calls us to here. To see that we are united with the saints of old. Moses, Abraham, Noah, those greats of the faith. Like we're a part of them. We're united to them in Jesus. And a part of what they have accomplished will inspire us in the race that we're called to. So you've got to see the crowd. But secondly, you've got to throw off everything that holds you back. One of the things I've noticed about cross country is that they don't have a lot of clothing on. You know, they got these little shorts, you know, I call them Daisy Dukes, but there's not much there, okay? They're really high, they're jerseys, I mean, there's just, you know, a little tank top, not much there. I have never seen a cross-country runner in sweatpants, I've never seen one in jeans, I've never seen one in hiking boots. If you do, you know this is about to not be pretty, right? What do they do? They want to remove everything that would hold them back. They want to have the least amount on as possible so that nothing holds them back from running, so that nothing trips them up. That's a part of what he's sharing here. It just makes common sense. If you're running a race, you don't want to be held back. Your focus is on finishing that race, on running your race in the best and most efficient way that you can. So what do you naturally do? You remove everything that holds you back. Everything that hinders you. He mentions two things here. One, he mentions a weight. The weights that hold you back. And secondly, he mentions the sin that entangles us. Now, you know, sometimes the things that hold us back are not necessarily bad things in and of themselves. Sometimes the things that hold us back are good things that might not be necessary in our life. You know, things that we get into, things that we get distracted by, things that we fill our life with. What is the main thing someone responds when you ask them how they've been doing? What is it? What do you say? How you been doing lately? What's the number one response? You probably said it today. What is it? I'm busy. I've been busy. Isn't that true of our life? We are so stinking busy. And I'm the, I'm the chief sinner right here. <laughs> I'm the chief one. It's so easy to fill our lives with so many good things. But the problem is our busyness holds us back. How many of us have interests in our lives, hobbies in our lives, things that we're into that just totally crowd out any opportunity to pursue God in your life? For how many of you does all the busyness in your life prevent you from studying God's Word on a regular basis? From spending extended time in solitude and prayer? So I think most of us want to say, well, what is solitude? I've never heard of that. Right? How much solitude do we we have in our lives? Very little. Do you know how crucial solitude is for the race of the Christian life? Times of silence and just being with God. I mean, it's something that's just totally foreign to us in our culture. 
Sometimes it's relationships in our life. Sometimes it's just our stuff. You know, the more stuff you got in your life, the more you got to keep up with. You see, all those good things, in and of themselves, they're not bad, but they hold us back from running our race. And, you know, sometimes it's sin. You know, these weights kind of hold us back, but sin will entangle you. I remember in one of H's race this past year, we're sitting there at the finish line, and, you know, you kind of know who you expect to come out first. You know, on the team, you know who the fastest is, and you're, you're just kind of sitting there waiting, you're waiting on them to run out. And I remember we're waiting on our day runners to come out, and we weren't seeing them. In fact, the fastest runner on the team wasn't coming. And we're starting to see some slower day runners coming out, and we're like, what's going on here? We started to get worried. You know what had happened? The fastest runner was running, and he got tripped up on some roots. You know, you're running through the woods, he tripped on a root, turned his ankle, and went straight down. Couldn't finish the race. A couple of them stayed back to stay with him. But it's a picture of what sin can do in our life. You know, sometimes we just allow sin into our life. You know, maybe just a little harmless sin, a little habit there. And we're not addressing it in our life. We're not repenting of that sin in our life. You know, the, the reality is, like he says here, it so easily entangles you. You know, it just get a hold of you. And the danger of sin is that it can take you entirely out of the race. So the point here is that, you know, if you're running a race, you don't want anything holding you back. And so we've got to, we've got to really take a look at our lives and say, what in my life is holding me back? In my race. So we got to see the witnesses. we got to throw off what holds us back. But then thirdly, and this is the most important one, we got to fix our eyes on Jesus. Look at what he says here. Verse 2. Here's how we're to run our race. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. You know, one of the things about racers in a race, you notice this about all of them. They're not looking around. When they're in that race, they're not looking at the crowd. They're not looking down at their feet. What are they looking at, especially on the home stretch? They're looking at the finish line. They're locked in with laser focus on the finish line. Because when you see the finish line, it gives you energy. It gives you focus. It gives you passion. It helps you to run. See, the writer of Hebrews is saying, the finish line is not just a destination, it's a person. It's Jesus. See, for our finish line, not only is it the end of our life where we inherit everything that's been promised, the main and most wonderful thing about our finish line is that Jesus is there. Standing at the finish line with His arms out for us. That is what is to compel us in the Christian life. He says here, he uses two words to describe Jesus and our race. He says that he is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. You know, that's interesting, that word that's translated pioneer here. It's a Greek word that is archegos. It's actually hard to kind of translate in English. That's why some of our translations use different words. Some use author, some use founder. And really, they're all trying to get at this kind of concept of an archegos. An archegos is someone who is a champion. 
literally in ancient Rome, this, this word's kind of borrowed from the, the Olympic Games or the, the Roman Colosseum. The Archegos would be a champion who would win the victory. The crowd would cheer, Archegos, Archegos. He's the one that goes before you. He's the one that achieves the victory on your behalf. One translator describes it in this way. It's the image of being in a boat that's run aground on rocks and is in harm's way and waves are crashing in and the boat is falling apart. And the Archegos is the person who jumps into the harm's way of the water, swims a rope over the beach, secures it so that everyone can come across to safety. He says, that's an Archegos. Someone who goes ahead into the danger walks the path, and then makes a way for others to follow. What a picture of what Jesus has done for us. Is that He is the one who has pioneered the race that we're running. He's the one that's gone before us. He is the one that has lived and achieved the Christian life on our behalf. He's the perfecter of our faith. He is perfecting us. This race is not something we run in our, in our own strength. In fact, if you try to do that, you will fail. It's one of the quickest ways to fail in the Christian life is to try to live the Christian life in your own strength. But we do it in dependence upon Him, knowing that He has gone before us, knowing that He has achieved it in our behalf, knowing that we have His righteousness, knowing that we're running a race that in some senses has already been completed for us. And yet... He is perfecting us. He is giving us endurance. He is energizing us to the end. He has accomplished everything that is needed for our salvation. In the second sentence there in verse 2, he says, For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. That's how He has saved us. That's how He has completed our race. You know, if you think about Jesus' race, it was living the perfect Christian life in our place, perfectly obeying the Father. And as we've learned early in the book of Hebrews, He faced every temptation that we face in our life and yet was victorious. You ever find yourself failing to temptation? Here's the ultimate hope in that. Jesus succeeded for you. At every turn, all the opposition, anything that we can face in our life, He faced it. And He was victorious for us. And at the end of His race was a shameful cross. That was the last hurdle in His race. And Jesus embraced the cross. It says He scorned its shame. What a description. You know, the Roman cross was not just a way to execute people. It was a way to bring the ultimate shame on a person. It was a way of shaming enemies of Rome. Because you were nailed on a cross and hung there naked. And yet Jesus went to the shame of the cross and we're told that He shamed shame. That's what it means to scorn shame. Or to despise shame. Jesus put shame on public display. Paul says He made a public spectacle out of shame. Do you feel shame in your life? Do you carry shame in your life? Jesus has taken shame. Your shame. He's destroyed your shame on the cross. Now why did He do this? What carried Jesus through all of this? He tells us here. It was for the joy set before Him. 
That's what compelled Jesus. Through all that He endured, through the pain of the cross, it was because of the joy that was ahead that took Jesus through all of that. And what was that joy? That joy was you. And it was me. We were His joy. That by all that He had accomplished and all that He would do, He would make us His very own. You are His joy. You see, fixing your eyes upon that is what enables us to endure. To fix our eyes on Jesus. To know Him. To be obsessed with Jesus. Just the way a runner is with the finish line. To find our identity in Him. To rest in His work. To experience His love and acceptance in our life. To know Him. To obey Him. This is how we run this race. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. You know, the Christian life must be centered on Jesus. You know, it's so, it's so easy, particularly in the Bible Belt, to think that Jesus is kind of how you get into the Christian life, and then the way that you grow or persist is by, like, looking at your race, right? Trying to do better, you know, do these things in your life. You know, we're, we're looking at our race or we're comparing ourselves to other people. This, the, the, the most critical thing in the Christian life is to be centered on Jesus. To look at Him. Don't even look at your race. Look at Jesus. Rest in what He's done. Let Him become your joy and your satisfaction. That's how we run this race. So a couple of application questions then we can discuss for a minute. Three questions here for us. One, are you in the race? I think that's the most fundamental question we got to ask especially in the Bible Belt, where people like think they're born into the race. Are you in the race? Because let me tell you, as I watch races, like, you know who's in the race, right? I know that in, in the crowd, I'm not in the race. People who are in the race, they're running. Are you in the race? Have you begun with Jesus? And are you moving to a destination? Are you moving to that place? of knowing Him, of seeing Him, of His kingdom? You know, some of us might be in the race, but we ain't running. It's very easy, you know, again, to begin this Christian life, but you know, you just start getting distracted by other things. You know, maybe you get off the path and you're into another race. You know, I think for many of us, there's so many things in this life that we're racing after. The reality is, I think all of us are racing for something. What are you racing for? Are you in this race? Are you seeking to grow? Are you running? Are you practicing endurance? Are you seeking to grow in your relationship with God? Are you in the race? But secondly, what holds you back in your life? What are those things in your life that weigh you down? The distractions the thing that take all of your energy in life. Maybe it's the, the habits in your life that just totally get you off track. Maybe it's things we kept going back to. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's, maybe it's um, how we look. Maybe it's what other people think of us. Maybe it's fear. 
Maybe it's the fear of what other people think. I, one, of, one of the things that holds me back is getting so focused on what other people think. It's so easy. It's so easy to be so worried about pleasing other people and how do people see me and how do I become what people want me to be and kind of accommodating to the people around me because I need their acceptance and their praise. But that so holds me back. It trips me up. What is it for you? Maybe it's, maybe it's shame and regret in your life. Maybe it's bitterness and unforgiveness in your life. What is it for you, for all of us? We have things in our life that hold us back. And so he's urging us here, throw it off so you can run. And then finally, are your eyes fixed on Jesus? Are you enjoying him? Do you know him? Not just know about him, but are you in a relationship with him? Are you resting and what He has done for you. Is He your identity? Or are we running for other th- towards other things for our identity in life? Are you fixed on Jesus? Are you with Him? Do you see Him? Are you enjoying Him? Because we cannot focus on other people. It's so easy to compare ourselves to other people. It's so easy to, to look at our race, say, how am I doing? But are you focused on Jesus? Let me just stop there and we have a few minutes to discuss together. So how does that, thinking about the Christian life as a race and particularly thinking about your life and your race, how does this passage challenge you? How does it encourage you? What's happening in you as you think about what our passage calls us to? John. But Jesus being the pioneer or the champion and perfecter of our faith, I think I've always thought of that in a remote sense or in a detached sense as an example. Mm -hmm. That he's the champion and and perfecter of like Christianity. Right. You know, kind of big, big sense, big term, but something that's external. And when it's viewed as something external, it's more of an example. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, and I think you've talked about quite a bit, and, and it's true. You know, him being the example is kind of the well. He he saves us, but then we kind of are on our own for sanctification. That's right. He's yeah, the example that we look to. Yes, so that we know that we can never get it and kind of feel bad about it and all that. But it, if the if you look at this in terms of him being the champion and perfecter of our personal faith, yes, and you personalize it, that's a very different. I think you touched on that, and it it made me see that in a in a different light. That it's not just he's the yes he you know is the accomplisher of Christianity and yeah. the, the accomplisher of you know the covenant of God and and all of those things, which is of course absolutely true. But he's the author and perfecter of, of my faith. Yes. Yes. And so that that perfection of my faith is through that connection to him. Yeah. But it, it's not even something that I do per se. It, yeah. It, not to take away from the running of the race and, and being in the race and in the right race and all of that. But the personalization of that, I think, 
gives that. I, and maybe I'm way off on that, but I was kind of seeing that this morning in a new light. Yeah. Thank you, John. Absolutely. I think it's very easy in the Bible Belt to think, okay, Jesus, you know, he paid for my sin and believing in him, I go to heaven when I die. But now he's my example for how to live, which is true. He is clearly to be an example that we're looking to him. We're trying to imitate him. But if he is merely an example then the Christian life is going to be incredibly burdensome because it's got to be lived in my strength and in my energy. And a lot of people think that. And I've, I've wrestled with that, thing, with that kind of thinking and mindset in my own Christian life. It's called legalism, and usually it ends up in being totally burned out, and some people just walk away from the faith altogether because they say, I can't be good enough. But the amazing reality of the gospel is that not only is he our example, he is the one who has actually run our race for us. Not that we don't run a race. We run a race. Hebrews is very clear about this race. I am running a race. Nobody can run your race for you. You are running your race. But we run that race with Jesus who has accomplished it. The way that Paul says it in another place, Paul says, let us live up to, there's that standard, what we've already attained. What a balance. We've already been saved. Jesus has already finished the race. So therefore, we're running without that pressure of, can I make it? We're running it with a confidence that Jesus has already succeeded for me. So now as I'm rooted in Him, I'm going to endure. He is going to perfect me. He's going to enable me to get there. So that's why when we take our eyes off Jesus, you are doomed in the Christian life. There is no way to grow. There's no way to finish. There there is no way to thrive in the Christian life without being obsessed with the person of Jesus, relationally, in intimacy with Him. So I love that you point that out. I think it's absolutely what the passage is getting at. Sandra. About solitude. This very day, I woke, I wake up really early. I've heard two pastors on YouTube. Got my breakfast with somebody else. I thought, I'm going to go out on the porch and just spend this quiet time with a woman. Uh-huh. It just didn't hit me. Got out there, sit my food, and didn't even eat. I started sweeping. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's all of our problem, I think. You know, when I set that time aside to be with the Lord, it is amazing how my heart gets distracted in that moment more than any other time. I'm like, man, those windows need washing over there. Let me go take a look at those. I don't wash, ask Ashley, I don't wash windows. Like, What's happening there? There's something in our, and this is a part of what, this is what makes the Christian life most difficult. It's not what's around us, but what's inside of us. And our flesh just resists that. You know, we want to be independent. We want to, we want to be our own God. We want to run our own show. And so there's something in me that doesn't want to come and open myself to Him and be with Him. So that's the race. 
That's the challenge, is how do I get alone with Jesus? It's just critical. But that's the battle right there, as you described. And I, I, I experience it all the time. But that's our race. Um, <clears throat> a challenge to be in solitude is what you mentioned, the shame. And uh, I guess the pain that comes along with that shame. And the difficulty, could you kind of speak to how to engage with that um, and how to view Jesus' role and being a victor over that shame? Yes, that's a great question. You know, the Bible speaks in a, a massive amount about shame. It's a part of the human condition. I mean, you see it, you see it right at the beginning in Genesis 3 at the fall. The description there is not just one of guilt over their sin, it's shame. They're hiding, they're blame shifting, they're justifying themselves, they're accusing others, they're comparing themselves, they're all of a sudden afraid of God, they're, I mean, all these things are happening, it's really a description of our life, but it's shame. We're hiding, we're all wearing fig leaves, we're all trying to look better than we really are, we're all putting a face on. We're all trying to seem like what we think other people will accept in our life. And that's just kind of how we function. It's the human problem. So we all have shame in our life. We all have these voices in our life that are just constantly accusing us. Do you have that, you know? Well, if you were really a good Christian, you'd do this. Well, if you were a really good friend, you'd do this. If you were a really good parent, you'd do this. You know, if, if, you were, if you really had worth, you'd look like this. You ever hear that voice? That's shame. It's the voice of shame in our life. And it's just, it's always with us. So the amazing thing is that Jesus did not just come to deal with our guilt as He literally paid the penalty of our sin. He came to take our shame. He came to take all of that. All that's wrong with us, all of our corruption, all of that sense of like, I'm bad. There's something wrong with me. He took it on himself as he was shamed. He was lifted up in shame on the cross. He was the shamed one. But in doing so, he shamed shame. He defeated it. He destroyed it. So that now through union with Jesus, we get honor. What is the opposite of shame? It's honor. It's it's. Glory, it's mattering, it's have, having stature, it's, it's being someone of worth and value, which is what we all want. We're all chasing worth in something. But you see, when you're united to Jesus, you get His worth. We've got His value. And the challenge for us is like believing it's true. Because a lot of us have the covering and the worth of Jesus, and yet we're running around chasing all this other worth. We don't have to do that. But it's a failure of belief, a failure to fully step into what's already true. So if you are united with the risen one, if you are united with the king, you know how we, we all want to be associated. You know, if you're associated with someone of honor, you get the honor, right? That's why we name drop, right? Well, guess who I know, or guess who I got to see, or guess what experience I have. We do all of that. Because we want to put honor on ourselves. Well, when we have righteousness, we have stature, 
and it can't be lost. What would be true of your life if you knew that deeply in your soul? Walked in the honor that is yours through union with Jesus. So it's a huge application of the cross. And I suspect we just have barely even touched that truth in our lives. So we got work to do. We've got fixing our eyes on Jesus to do. Working out in our hearts and in our lives. So, great question. Thank you. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray more than anything else that you would help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Would you just let us see Him? Let us behold His glory. Let us fall in love with Him. Jesus, we want to know you. We want to open our hearts to you. We want to surrender ourselves to you. We want your identity to become our identity. We want your honor. We want your righteousness. Lord, we already have it. Would you help us to believe that through our union with you, we are fully righteous and glorious before a holy God. Lord, help us to be so rooted in you, Lord Jesus. That all the counterfeit glories in this world would have no hold on our hearts. That we might run our race well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.